Today's uh, sermon, it's uh, good to be with you all, uh, to be able to worship with you uh, this evening. Uh, Today's sermon is uh, on this topic, really, uh, God's friendship with me. Uh, And uh, I want to read two verses uh, again. Uh, We're going to read from the New Testament and from the Old Testament. Uh, The New Testament, really the passage is from John 15, 15, and so I'll read that again, and then from Psalm 25, verse 14, so you understand why we had the Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading uh, from those two uh, chapters. Uh, But from John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And then Psalm 25, 14 The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. This idea that God calls you his friend. I mean, just, just think about that for a moment. God calls you his friend. Uh, especially, I think, uh, in nowadays, uh, in our society today, where a friendship has become even more difficult. Uh, friendship has become something that it, it, it's not easy, uh, despite the fact that we are more connected than we ever have been in the history of the world. And yet, to make a friend, the idea of calling another person a friend has become so difficult, uh, so hard to do. But in understanding when God calls you his friend, uh, at the heart of all of this is the gospel. Uh, At the heart of all of this friendship, the idea of God calling you his friend is the gospel. And so as I mentioned, these two verses that we saw, or that that we just read from John 15 and Psalm 25. As we think about this for a moment, as we think about the kind of relationship that we have with God. I want you to first think uh, of this master-servant relationship versus the sort of relationship of God calling you a friend. Uh, Not to say that, obviously, God is our master. We are his servant. And so uh, there is uh, that aspect of our relationship to God. Uh, But I want to focus a little bit more on this idea of of master-servant and give us that sort of background to understanding what it means to be called God's friend. And so when you think about that master-servant relationship... What's the basis of that relationship as a master and servant? The master-servant relationship is based on accomplishing tasks. The servant must accomplish tasks for the master. The, The relationship focuses on whether or not that task is accomplished for one and is it accomplished well. That's what defines the relationship. That's what makes that relationship good or bad. And so as we think about that relationship, does it go any further than that? Is there anything more beyond accomplishing the task between master and servant? With that mental picture of a master-servant relationship, contrast that relationship with the relationship between two friends. Are friendships based on fulfilling tasks or jobs? Right. Once the task is completed, is the friendship completed? Does the friendship continue? Right. This word task, 
epitomizes, again, it really summarizes the relationship between a master and a servant. Whereas the relationship of friends, you might say, the word delight captures that. See, amongst friends, there's delight in spending time with one another. There's pleasure, there's joy with one another. But when it comes to this master-servant relationship, you wouldn't describe it as friends. Right? Again, so listen to John 15, 15 again. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. No longer does God call us servants, but he calls us friends. But as you hear God, as you hear Jesus himself say, you are my friend, how would you describe your relationship with God? And what I mean by that, do you describe your relationship with God as one where there's delight? Or is it one where it's task driven? Like that of a servant and master. Do you understand and define your relationship with God in such a way? Jesus gives me tasks, I better do them. And you can rattle off sort of a grocery list, a laundry list of all the different tasks. And so even like this evening, maybe this morning, one, I've got to go to church. Two, I've got to pray. Three, I've got to read the Bible. Four, I've got to spend time with these people at church. Right? And then once all those tasks are completed, once all those tasks are done, is relationship with those people done. Right. Once I finish the task of worshiping on Sunday, is my relationship with God done for the day? Maybe even done for the rest of the week. See, and this is where church really is boring if all we do and all we think about is it is a task-driven relationship. Right? We've numbed ourselves to God, I think, in many ways, perhaps even depersonalizing God in such a way that everything that my relationship with God is about is a task in front of me that I need to complete. I need to fulfill my duty to him. I need to keep my obligations to him. See, and that's where, as God calls us his friends, that's not a friendship that we have with God. It's not a personal relationship that we have with God. Despite the fact that Jesus, again, he declares, I don't consider you servants, but I consider you friends. And yet we keep treating Jesus. We look at his relationship and we don't think of it as a friendship, but there's that very, I don't really see it anymore, but there's that bumper sticker. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. And again, is that what your relationship Is that how your relationship with God could be summarized? He's my boss. He's my master. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And if I don't get it done, eh, it's not much of a relationship beyond fulfilling the task. Let's get a little bit more specific here in looking at our passage. And I want to emphasize again, notice in explaining a little bit of that difference between a servant and a Uh, between a servant and master uh, versus a relationship between friends. Again, listening to John 15, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, 
But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The servant doesn't know the master's affairs, right? The servant doesn't know. It's, it's not his business to know. It's not his job to know. He just simply does what he's told. But uh, anything beyond what the, uh, what the master's feeling, what the master's going through, there is no relationship that allows for that. But friends make them known. And this is where Psalm 25, verse 14, really sheds a little bit of a light to this. I think it's a very profound light to help us understand the crucial aspect of friendship. Now, our ESV translations, uh, looking at Psalm 25, 14, our ESV translation says the friendship of the Lord. Right, the friendship of the, the beginning of the verse. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. But I want you to listen to the way the King James Version, also the NAS Version, Uh, describe it. The King James translates this verse and says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. The secret of the Lord. The ESV says the friendship of the Lord. The King James says the secret of the Lord. The NAS also does the same thing. The secret of the Lord. I mean, that does that sound similar? I mean, friendship and secret. I mean, it sounds like translation-wise, someone really messed up somewhere. I mean, that doesn't sound similar at all. But take a look at the NIV. Well, no, just trust me. <laughs> Listen to the NIV. The NIV brings this out. Um, I think really does maybe one of the rare instances where I think the NIV does a better job than the other ones. <laughs> Uh, the NIV translates it this way. So again, ESV, the friendship of the Lord, King James, NAS, the secret of the Lord. The NIV says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. See, the, the language in Hebrew, the language in Hebrew for friendship of the Lord in being translated in these different ways Really, And that's why the ESV decided to translate it as friendship, because when you confide in someone, it gets at the heart of a friendship. Think about confiding in others. Right? Let's think about that for a moment. To confide is to tell your friend what's most important in your heart. Right? It's sharing something special, something very important to you. Right? It's something that not everybody knows about. Or maybe most of the people have a certain perception, but maybe you've confided in another person and said, well, this is what's really going on here, and you let them know. Right? You open yourself up. You are sharing, in other words, and this is why the King James says it this way, you are sharing a secret. You're sharing a secret about yourself, and when you share this sort of secret about yourself, you are, as you confide, making yourself vulnerable. You open yourself up. And when you open yourself up, and when you allow yourself to become vulnerable, sharing your innermost thoughts and feelings, I mean, you don't just do that with anyone. You you don't do that with just someone walking by the street and just open yourself up and make yourself vulnerable. Right? That's just not something we do. And it's definitely not something you do with your servants. It's something you do with friends. And even there, it's not just any friend, but 
Uh, we see even in this, in this sense, Jesus had a circle of friends. He had his 12 disciples, but even amongst his 12 disciples, he had his three closer ones. And even from there, arguably, you might even say uh, the uh, disciple John was perhaps his closest friend, that beloved friend, the friend that you trust so much because he sticks closer to you than a brother, right? the language of Proverbs. See, when you confide in someone, when you share that special bond of friendship with that person, you've created a level of transparency, making yourself vulnerable. Right? One person uh, described, um, uh, described sort of uh, in, in, in talking about uh, friendship, uh, you're giving that person tools that could cause you harm. You're opening yourself up where you become so vulnerable, you might even be attacked if things go awry. Right? Sometimes you hear this nowadays. Uh, well, maybe even that generation has passed. But you hear, like, I can be real with that person. Right? People talk about being real. Being raw with them. Right? The idea of creating an authentic and genuine connection that there might be acceptance and sympathy towards you after you've confided in them, after you've unloaded a secret, a secret that makes you vulnerable. But let me ask you, what happens if, after you've confided in them, that person who you thought was a friend downplays it? Or worse yet, what if that person just outright dismisses it? Ignores what you've said. Doesn't even bother to respond. You open yourself up and and you're expecting a certain response, some sort of reciprocation. And yet that doesn't happen. Instead, it's like, oh, okay. Well, Proverbs 25, 20 speaks to this. Proverbs 25, 20 says, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Right? It's this idea where you've unloaded and, and, and you've confided uh, the secret, you've, you've shared this, uh, perhaps this pain and anguish that you're going through, and the person just does not understand what you're going through and completely ignores it. You're not taken seriously because it turns out there really isn't much of a connection there. There never really was. But if Jesus is calling you his friend, it means the Lord has confided in you and told you his secret. Just let that sink in for a moment. He's opened his heart in such a way where God, the living God, has confided in you, opened his heart up to you. That's what Psalms is talking about. That's what John 15 is talking about. He's made himself known to you, therefore becoming very vulnerable and transparent to you. He does not call you his servants because a servant has no idea what the master, what the affairs of the master, but he calls you his friend because he's making himself known to you. And you're sitting there and you're wondering, what secret is that? 
What has he possibly said to me, making himself transparent? What has he possibly said to me, making himself vulnerable? What in the world has Jesus confided? What are you talking about? Well, again, what is it that a person just absolutely has difficult saying to another person? Uh, Usually it comes around February. They're usually like three-worded phrases. And people have the most difficult time saying this. They just don't want to say it. And, and, and you know, if, if, if you follow like, television shows or movies, it's like a whole movie will go through before these three words are said. You'll go through an entire season where finally at the last episode of the season, they finally say those three words. I love you. Do you realize what Jesus has done is he has confided, he has said, the level of his affection, what happens when you unload and you say, I love you, and you don't hear that back, that unrequited love, when you don't hear someone reciprocate that level of love back to you, you become absolutely exposed, you're vulnerable. I'm not talking about necessarily a romance. I mean, in this sense, I'll, I'll use the language of bromance. Right? It, it's not necessarily about uh, romanticism, but it's about an expression of affection to another person. This idea where you will express to another person how much that person means to you. Right? Between men, between women, between uh, even in that sense, that romantic sense of, of becoming absolutely opened up where the idea that someone has said this to you or you've said this to someone, what do you do? If someone says to you, you mean the world to me. There's a famous line where someone says, I know. Right? Someone says, I love you, and I know. Or someone says, I love you, thank you. What do you say back to that? People have difficulties with that. But here, God spends an entire history of the world to tell you his affections for you. He wants, to, he wants you to know how much he delights in you. He wants you to know how much he enjoys being with you. He wants you to know the level of affection that he has for you. That before the foundation of the world, he chose you and determined to be born human himself, undergoing persecution so that he would lay down his life for you, undergo the humiliation and pain. He would go through all of this so he could spend the rest of eternity with you. I mean, that's the level of affection he has for you. And he spends an entire history of the world to lay, lay this out for you. From Genesis all the way to... He even tells you what the future is going to be like. And he has all of that down. He says, this is the level of affection that I have for you. This is the level of love that I have for you. Book after book after book... Pages filled with God expressing his deep affection and love for you. But what's our response? Right? What's our response? I mean, we hear that. Do we take it very seriously? Or do we pour vinegar on those wounds? Hmm. Even as he hung on the cross, he's thirsty. Well, let's get him some sour wine, some, really, some vinegar. 
Are we the type that we hear this kind of affection week after week, perhaps daily in our own personal devotions? We hear the level of affection that God has for us and we take his garments from him. You know, maybe we don't literally laugh or mock like the way that the Roman soldiers did. Maybe we don't scorn him. But maybe it's more of dismissing what he has to say. Friend has confided in you, has told you the level of love that he has for you, and we wind up dismissing it, marginalizing it, pretending it really wasn't said. Because how often do we find ourselves weak? To week, day to day, do we ignore him? How often do you do this? How often do you ignore what he has to say? And you don't really want to spend much time talking to him. How often do we find ourselves deep in prayer? How often do we find ourselves deep in his word? How often do we find ourselves cultivating that friendship with him? I mean, again, even on human terms, think about the kind of friendships you have. That person that you haven't talked to in 25 years, do you consider them a friend? No, probably not. What about that person that you haven't spoken to in a year? And I heard this a lot, especially as my reunions were coming around years ago. As my reunions were coming around that, well, if I really wanted to talk with them, I see what's going on on Facebook. I know what's going on with their life. If I really wanted to keep up with them, well, I would, and I don't. I don't need to. Right? This idea that there are certain people in our lives that it's just not that important. Right? And it shows in the way we interact with some folks. But again, when we think about the relationship we have with God, to what level is this relationship with God? One where we, on a daily basis, when we engage in, in talking to him, opening up our own heart to him, letting him know what is going on with the struggles and pouring our heart and soul to him. Do we want to do this? Is it it something like, I can't wait to spend some time to let him know what's going on. I can't wait to let God know as as, uh, I go to him in prayer, whether it's early in the morning, late in the evening, or, or wherever, wherever I might be, whenever I might be. I can't wait to hear what he has to say to me. I can't wait to open up these pages and what is God speaking? What is God telling me? I can't wait to come in the, in, in the presence of all the saints to listen to God's word being preached Sunday after Sunday. I can't wait to hear all of, of, what, uh, of the goodness and taste and see how good God is. I can't wait for all of that. Or again, is it we wake up Sunday morning? Oh man, again. Is it already Sunday? Oh. Is it Wednesday? Is that prayer meeting? Oh. Do I do oh, it's evening service. Oh, but I was already there this morning. Oh. Whatever other study there is, it's like, I've got to crack this open. Or, again, our Bibles, well, it used to be like this, but just in your car, and the cover is changing because the sun is changing the cover color. Right? How deeply, how deeply do we want to engage with him? Especially because he, again, has told us 
year after year, the history of the entire world to tell us how much he adores us. I mean, do you understand how truly astounding it is then when you think about Jesus saying, hey, I consider you my friends. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He wants you to reciprocate. He wants you to confide in him. And again, what is going on with our lives? Do we want to confide in God? Do we want to pray? Or is our relationship with God defined and and really summarized with simply trying to do tasks? There's no intimacy in that relationship. It's a checklist of what do's and don'ts, and and that's really the extent of it. Here's the thing that I want you to think about where some people may easily tell you all of their problems. Right? Some people may tell you everything what's going on with them. Right? Perhaps there's some relationships that you have where people will come to you. And when they come to you, you perhaps say something back to them, and it turns out they're not actually interested in listening to anything you have to say. See, even in that sort of relationship, people don't see you as a friend, but they see you as someone providing a service to them. You are a servant to them. To hear them out, and once that task is finished, so is a relationship. At least until the next time that you could provide that service again to them. See, perhaps we do, oh yeah, I can't wait to tell God everything, and you just sort of say everything, but you're not really interested in hearing what he has to say either. You're not interested in understanding the heart of God. Do we think about what is heavy upon God's heart? I mean, do we actually want to know what's on God's heart? And therefore, again, are we engaged in wanting to understand what he has said? In fact, you might even say it this way. It's not just that God has said, this is what's going on in my heart. God actually says, I'm going to show you what my heart looks like. And God has made that heart into flesh. He's made that heart into flesh, and he says, this is what's going on with my heart. I see your sin. I see the extent of it. I do not like it. It is not good for you. It does not help you. When I see that sin in your life, and I see the sin dominating your life, it is not good. And I despise that sin so much because of our friendship, because of my love and affection for you is so deep, so great. I will not sit aside and allow that sin to devour you. There's a friend. There's a friend that sees sin devouring your life and says, I will not allow it to continue. And I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that sin is removed. And we see the heart of God as it becomes flesh. It comes into this world so that he can remove that sin. And there God is telling you all of this wonderful. He's revealing all of this to you. But when you hear all of this, thank you. I know. And it doesn't move us. It doesn't move us. 
when we hear all that God has done for us, does it move us or again? All this stuff that he's done, I mean, that's great. But we don't reciprocate that friendship to him, and so it really just doesn't, it falls on deaf ears. We sing songs when his heart is heavy. Do we realize the kind of pain and anguish our friend, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, goes through when we disregard our relationship with him? When it comes to our friendship with him, do we understand the kind of anguish he might go through? Do we sing songs when his heart is heavy? Do we take his garment? Do we pour vinegar on his wounds? Or do we understand that when we sin, when that sin reorders us, when the sin, and, and what I mean by reorder, when there are things that we love become more of a priority than God himself. That's the language of Augustine. When that takes hold of us, do we want to go to him and be reconciled? Do we long to be reconciled? Do we long to repent? Be reconciled with our friend? Or it just doesn't really matter. See, there's a reason why the wounds of a close friend are worse. Right in Psalm 55, David says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. But my close friend, though? When Jesus calls us his friend, do we understand the sins that we go through? It pains him greatly. The heaviness of that. Do we desire to be reconciled to him? His heart aches as we sin. But is our attitude again, it's my life, I can do whatever I want. I'm my own authority. I'm my own king. Don't judge me. You can't tell me that I'm wrong here. See, and that's what you hear oftentimes now. Friendships are about, don't judge me. Friendships are about, oh, just support me. Friendships have nothing to do with being reconciled. And and when uh, you've done something wrong, where you've hurt and uh, brought the other person anguish and pain, hey, you know what, maybe that's for you, but this is how it is for me, and, and that's that. There is no friendship there. But as Jesus says, this is the level of affection I have. I came to take care of those sins. I do not want to see those sins devour you. Our response, nothing less, ought to be than repenting than being reconciled with our friend. See, as those who have been reconciled, as those who have experienced the love of Christ, even as we experience many difficult things in this broken world, we face them with the most faithful friend imaginable. That friend is always with us. 
That friend is always calling us. That friend will never depart from us. As we go through life, we may say to ourselves, I have no friend, and that would just be untrue. Because he will always be with us no matter where we are. And as we cultivate that friendship, the beautiful thing is, as he brings us into that friendship, he says, I have an entire family. I have an entire family that calls you, that they are also all of your friends as well. And that's part of the beauty of, of, it's not just me, myself, and God. It is in our friendship with God, in this triune God, it is our friendship with his entire people. And so as we start to think a little bit more deeply and clearly about our own friendship with one another here in this congregation, as our heart becomes more sensitive towards one another, as our heart becomes more understanding, sympathetic towards one another, rather than pouring vinegar on each other's wounds and taking each other's garments, instead we humble ourselves in such a manner that the words that we have of one another, the, the affections, the vulnerability that we see within the congregation, we want to see that and grow that and cultivate that in such a way where there is true friendship, true affection. Because we know the kind of affection we've received from Christ is the kind of affection we want to give it towards one another, and we want to reciprocate that with one another. We want to see in this congregation, and, and this is what makes it to some degree challenging, uh, there are people from all different walks of life. And yet to be able to establish that kind of friendship with every single one of us here, uh, it, it, it does take a lot of work. It does take a lot of opening up. It does take a lot of vulnerability. It does take a lot of transparency. But that's something we want to continue to see in this congregation. We want to see it grow in this congregation. And thereby, again, showing that love for one another. And ultimately then, if we say, you are my friend, there's no greater love than this, then I will lay down my life for you. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. That's the kind of level of friendship that he has made with us. And that's the level of friendship that we now reciprocate with him. And the level of friendship that we have for one another. That in this congregation we will lay down our lives for each other. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and... and we are absolutely astounded that you call us friends. Why, why would you want folks like us to be your friends? It's not as if you gain any kind of advantage. It's not as if we, we can do this and that for you. I mean, there are other people out there that can do it better. And yet you've gathered a people here in the city of Westminster. And you call each and every one of them your friends. And if you will call them your friends, how much more when we see one another, wow, that's a friend of God. When we look at one another, how can we not see a friend of God and therefore my own friend? That just as you, O oh God, lay down your life for us, that we might lay down our lives for the brethren, for one another. 
and that we would continue to cultivate the kind of friendship we have with each other. That we would cultivate the kind of relationship we have here in this congregation. That there would be nobody in this congregation that is without a friend. That there is nobody in this congregation that is uh, neglected, dismissed, ignored. But rather we see that everyone here, oh God, you have called them your friend. And that we would embrace them and love them. And in this way, this sort of unity, this kind of uh, togetherness, that the world might see it. And in the world seeing it, might too also desire that. And that they would know that the Father has sent the Son into this world. And that they might come to faith. That in this way, through our togetherness here at Westminster OPC, we ask, O oh God, that your church would expand, your kingdom would grow, and that you, your name would be exalted. We love you. We thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.